am I Reister or am I wrong? Today it is now, it's am I Reister or am I wrong with Ralph Amsden. Um, it's the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet the truth. Daily fire, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Facts only here. Make sure you check your feelings at the door before you even show up because we will absolutely keep it 100. Uh, make sure that you guys subscribe to the podcast. So if you don't get a chance to watch it live, subscribe to it, uh, download it wherever podcasts are found, tell a friend so it can continue to grow. And you can also listen to me and Ralph as well on the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, wherever podcasts are found. And you can hear me on Mad Dog Sports Radio Monday through Friday on, uh, yeah, on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82, and Fox Sports Radio on Sundays, 2 to 5 p.m. So we got a bunch of things up today. First of all, con the congressional certification of the election turns into an absolute disaster. And the Georgia election, did the WNBA actually impact the Senate election or are we making connections that aren't even there? The hockey divisions, they get sponsors like this is another thing that's going on. Um, and also uh, Joe Brady. Joe Brady and Jason Garrett may be getting uh, job opportunities when black head coaches are not. So it's absolute. It's an absolute zoo. All right. So first thing up, Ralph. So you had the congressional certification that was going on and it's turned into an absolute disaster. Um, first, Trump was out there speaking. What were your thoughts on it from the beginning? On today, I, I went on social media yesterday and I asked people to explain to me what exactly all of these people that were flooding Washington, D.C. are expecting. Like, wh what is it that you are hoping to get out of today? I actually had a couple of people who support uh, everything that's going on say that they, they fully expected everything to be overturned by the by the vice president today. And then, you know, so I've been glued to my television all day long because I'm, I'm a father of four and I've taken in the middle of a pandemic the duties of homeschooling them. And so I'm like, great, I'm going to have to explain to them whatever happens today. Uh, so I've, I've been uh, flipping around the different, the different news stations. And instead of um, them either certifying the election results for the next president of the United States uh, or Mike Pence coming out and saying, we're not going to do that. Mike Pence came out and said, hey, it's not really up to me in a really long thing that he posted to Twitter after Donald Trump kind of threw him under the bus. And now we're in a situation where <laughs> protesters I'm, I'm assuming reacted to Mike Pence not doing what they had hoped he would do by flooding the U.S. Capitol, causing it to be evacuated and and halting the election certification process of the United States of America. So I'm just sitting here looking at my television, watching a dude in a Viking helmet sit in the speaker's chair and uh, things aren't great, George. Well, the thing that was bizarre to me is I was like, who the hell didn't see this coming? I, and this is where, this, and mind you, this is nonpartisan how I feel about this. All right. I believe that you are a grifter. You are a grifter. If you did not, if you would not actually have been out there 
with the people and protesting because he said, oh, I'm going to go to the Capitol with you. And uh, no, he wasn't. This is the same draft dodging dude. And mind you, just so everybody knows, uh, Ralph has been have been a lifelong Republican. I don't vote along party lines. I vote for whoever I feel is going to represent me, my family, my best interests at, at all times. So I, I just couldn't understand like how people are like, oh, I'm shocked that this happened. No, you saw this coming. You saw this coming. And the fact that our democracy is being eroded right in front of our eyes, that's troubling to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm from I'm from Wyoming, you know, I, my the leave leave us alone state. Uh, my, my dad's from an Indian reservation. I don't think that it's in my blood to have a whole lot of trust for the for the federal government. And so, you know, I, I, I'm not ashamed of like the political affiliation that I've had my entire life. What I am ashamed of is people who don't understand the consequences of their actions. And you and I talk about this all the time on the phone. You know, we I'm down here in Arizona where the head of our party is saying like, hey, are you willing to die for this? She's a bone doctor who went to Duke. Her name is Kelly Ward. She's not fighting or dying for anything. And so like this whole thing where they're inciting other people who are very serious and are very frustrated and don't have jobs and don't feel like promises were kept and do feel left behind and all that stuff, like you can't not blame you you absolutely can people have a choice and they're choosing poorly right now but when you say things and people take you seriously and then after the fact you want to be like oh hey uh, i just meant like let's review things let's you know i i didn't mean violence i didn't mean storm the capital i didn't mean you know get get yourself tear gassed in front of a painting of uh, thomas jefferson like of course of course your words have consequences. And and that's the thing that has been frustrating me from somebody who used to play in NFL. Like your word is your bond, right? If a team owner comes out and says like, hey, we're going to try to do this. We're going to invest these resources to try to win. And then they don't back that up and the fan base gets frustrated. Do you blame the fans? Like, no, you, you blame the people whose words rang hollow because they used other people to accumulate power or get what they want or get where they want. And these people have been so riled up over the last four years by people who are just riding a wave of cashing in and grifting that now that they're acting on all of those emotions, all the people who told them to act on those emotions are trying to act surprised by it. Yeah. They see, shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> see – and and that was the thing. I was like, yo, and I knew that this was going to happen last night when we were watching the Georgia Senate uh, election and the votes came in at the end. Uh, they're like, I knew it was going to be, oh, the votes came in at the end. Here comes this huge vote dump again. Here comes a vote dump. No, man, this is how elections work. And we have to be willing to accept the results regardless of what happens. Like, regardless of what happens, like people who did not vote for Trump were all upset last time. And and granted, regardless of whether it's right, wrong or indifferent, you have to accept the results. And the idea here's the thing that made no sense to me. Okay, so if the election was supposedly stolen, make it make sense to me that Lindsey Graham 
and Mitch McConnell didn't get voted out, especially when in Lindsey Graham's case, there was the most money raised in the history of a political campaign. So he could have easily been voted out. So they left those two dudes in. That doesn't even make sense. And the fact that 60 million people have been convinced of that is is like mind boggling to me. I don't understand it. Um, but then that leads to what happened with the WNBA. So the WNBA over the summer, they had an issue with Kelly Loeffler, who is one of the owners of the Atlanta Dream. And she absolutely, and she absolutely, um, like pissed off her players. Like her players were absolutely pissed off. And the reason why they were pissed off is because she is because when they went to saying that black lives matter and all of that, and, and people were saying, okay, what's up with black lives matter. And she said that she wrote a letter to the WNBA saying that she wanted black lives matter to be gone. And I was like, that the players should not be allowed to do it or say anything about it. And that clearly rubbed people the wrong way. They were like, hold up, hold up. That's not going to work for, for us. That's not going to work for me. So they came out in t-shirts talking about, uh, saying that they supported, uh, Warlock, the, the democratic candidate. Uh, hold on. We, we lost Ralph for a second. <laughs> yeah. So they came out in t-shirts to support him. And now, and at that point in time, he was polling at 9%, polling at 9%. And he still found a way to come back. That's absolutely incredible. That's incredible that he was able to come back in the situation and win. So, so there's a lot of people, Oh, whose fault is this? This is the Republicans fault. They messed up. Yeah. Yeah. You messed up when you chose to be a a douche, you chose to be this person. And so I don't feel bad for Kelly Loeffler. She was a profiteer who profited when people were in the middle of a pandemic So guess what? I don't feel bad for you because you're a loser anyway, if you do things like that. So, yeah. Um, And now you have LeBron James was going to buy that could potentially buy the Atlanta dream. Are you in favor of that? Yeah. I mean, do you think Kelly Leffler would would sell? Or do you think there's there's just going to be kind of a growing spite there that because, I mean, there, there have been plenty of owners throughout history that have hated their team and clung to them for dear life just out of spite. Uh, see, see, she may not have a choice. I mean, like, when you're so hated, how are you going to continue to own the uh, team? Won't you just take your profit and just say, all right, I'm out? Or do you think that she is, is you know, honorary enough to just say, I'm not doing this. I'm not settling under any circumstances. I think that if you have the stomach to run for United States Senate 
and have everything that comes with that and all the insults and barbs and everything thrown your way, you can handle owning a, a WNBA team in a city that doesn't want you. And, and also like, there's that other side of it where you got to look at it and say, man, like over 2 million people did vote for me. I am somewhat, I am 49.9% loved. There's a million different ways that everything that happened can kind of stroke your ego. But I mean, isn't like the plot of Ted Lasso that a, a, a woman owns a team that she hates and wants to see <laughs> like, she could just straight up trade for all the worst players, draft poorly. There's a lot of stuff that she could do to just what make sure that they go zero and twenty eight every single year. Like, the, it, it's very, very possible uh, that that uh, this becomes a, an even more contentious relationship than they already have. But you, yeah, but you, you know, don't she's have about to be the money, beloved. though, Ralph. Ralph, she's about the money. She's the person who sold stock after a after a Senate hearing. <laughs> on the pandemic dude she's gonna it's a money grab she'll if you overpay a little bit she'll say all right i made a great investment perfect perfect i'll take it maybe maybe and at the same time i mean it, we've had donald sterling we we have robert sarver down here in phoenix it's not uncommon for uh, a, a sports team owner to be universally hated not only by the team but the league itself um and to just hang on and keep collecting those checks. Because if it's truly a valuable part of your investment portfolio, then, you know, why not just keep it for as, as a long-term investment? The popularity of the WNBA has never been higher. And also now, it, what's crazy is she could profit off of the WNBA being part of the cultural zeitgeist and injecting itself into politics um, if that has the ability to make a franchise more valuable, if you believe there's no such thing as bad publicity, if visibility is what you get from something like this, then she could profit from the hate. And that, that's the beauty of America. <laughs> so, all right. So speaking of profiting, we'll, we'll move off of the politics for a second. Um, I, I have not, well, on the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, we always talk about how, the Pac-12 is selling and has all these ridiculous sponsors that nobody's ever heard of. And we know what's happened in the NBA where you have the list of Jersey sponsors, where you have, you know, lending tree for the Charlotte Hornets. That makes sense, right? Uh, because you've heard of it. Vista print for the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets have Motorola. I get it. The Lakers have honey. I didn't know what that was until I started using honey as a as a Google browser thing to like get um, what do you call it? Discounts, Memphis Grizzlies, FedEx. But like the Lakers having wish. I didn't I don't I've never used wish. And somebody wish is wild, man. Wish is wild. It's like it's like a, a, a eBay for bad ideas. Okay, so and what what the hell is the Utah Jazz five for the fight? I have no idea. I have it, no idea. I'm exactly. It's it's this company called uh Qualtrics. I don't even know what they do. What what does Qualtrics do? It's an American experience <laughs> management company. Whatever the hell that means. So I get I'm, it if it's I'm just surprised that, that in Utah it's not like 
Sensi or essential oils or one of the real big businesses uh, housewives run on the side out there. In or, or like 23andMe or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So and we said all that to get to the point that the NHL, the NHL now has sponsors for their divisions. They have sponsors for their divisions. And their new sponsors are uh, Honda, Scotiabank, Discover, and Mass Mutual. And I was like, yo, that is absolutely wild that they are doing this. So you, so you have the Honda West Division, the Scotiabank North Division, and mind you, they, they changed their divisions, the Discover Central Division, and the Mass Mutual um east division are you okay with this ralph because i hated the jerseys even getting (laughs) added you know but now this this is going too far like is everything for sale yeah everything's for sale as long as it is this is the one thing that sports leagues don't always do the best job of relaying to their fan base um is showing how the sponsorship dollars enhance the product. Like you, you need to show correlation and causation. You, you absolutely have to. And I've, I've never really seen um, sports franchises do the best job of saying, this is our sponsor. Here's how we work hand in hand. And here's how it actually enhances your experience as a, as a fan. I remember growing up as a kid, watching Suns games and every single time somebody would hit a three-pointer, Whataburger would donate $50 to Suns charities. And in my head as a kid, uh, even though I'm not still not like a big fan of Whataburger or anything, like the brand association for me was positive. And I saw how that brand association actually went to um, affect positive change in the community and enhance fan experience. I don't see a whole lot of other situations in which people, you know, <laughs> you know, you, you, it just reminds me of like Talladega Nights and Ricky Bobby and, and, and all that stuff and NASCAR having 80 different sponsors and, and having to thank everybody, take a giant swig of Pepsi or milk before you kiss the bricks, um, you know, and everything like that. And, and we just, we don't always do a good job of relaying to people like, Hey, these sponsorship dollars actually enhance your experience and enhance our ability to bring you a better product in NASCAR. You know, you know that the bigger companies that you get in, the, the more money that you get in, the better your car is going to be able to run, the better crew you're going to be able to have. That's just not always uh, relayed to fans in, in a way that matters. Now, if it doesn't See, in any way on. affect it, then hold on, that's going to be on, obvious. You mentioned something about NASCAR. I've never bought into the, I mean, I get it. I, it makes sense to me, but I've never truly understood how you can sit here and say that you're playing on an equal playing field in NASCAR, but but the more money that your team has, the better car that you're going to have. I'm like, what what happened to the driving? This is why NASCAR drivers are not athletes. They're they're not. Okay, okay. So they are. I, if I would you want to call them athletes, this. they're like endurance athletes because they have to sit in a hot car in a suit. And, and just drive around making left turns all day. I'm not here to badmouth NASCAR. I will say this, that if everything is supposed to be equal, there are certain 
places where you gain little advantages here and there. So let's say that those sponsorship dollars afford you the ability to pay the best pit crew and that pit crew actually can change a tire a couple of nanoseconds faster than some other pit crew. You want that one on your side. It's like having the ability to, to be able to pay a trainer. If you're a college basketball team or a college football team that might be able to make sure that if somebody sprains an ankle, they only miss two games instead of three over time. Those little advantages are what add up. Uh, and then obviously the ability to, to have the best driver and everything like that. And, and I, I always thought that NASCAR at least explains to their fans and says like these sponsorship dollars actually pay for our ability to tr in the arms race of tiny advantages. Right. And so you have to quantify what comes out of this. And it's difficult in a situation with the NHL when all of the money just goes into one pot because it's for all of the divisions. You got to be able to explain to the fans why it's good to have the Honda North division or whatever else, well, or the, why it's the, good to be the Los Angeles Lakers brought to you by wish, wish the sellers, the sellers of the dog poop bag that actually fits over your dog's tail. So it poops directly into the bag. No, so it, you don't, they have they don't have that on there. Ralph, stop it. Oh man. I'm going to send you so many weird links over the next week. Wish is the weirdest website in the entire world. If you are watching this and you see a weird thing on, on Wish ever, if you ever see a weird thing on Wish, just forward it to George, please. <laughs> I want George inundated with some of the nonsense. Oh, my gosh. There is a – I saw on Wish, on Wish they have a tent that goes over your toilet that you zip yourself up into so that when you go to the bathroom, you don't actually smell it because the tent like goes around your neck and seals the smell in. <laughs> so you get poop particles all in the inside of the tent, man. That's so stupid. Um, all right. The, the, the last that's thing wish. up, the last thing up is how to fix because I was talking about this on my radio show on Mad Dog as well. How, how to fix what the hell is going on with uh, black coaches in, and minority coaches in the NFL? Because it makes no sense to me. You have 70% plus of the players who are black. A lot of them go into coaching, but you can't find a situation to where uh, – but they'll tell you there aren't enough uh, minority candidates. And then you have Jason Garrett interviewing for the Chargers job and for the uh, Texans job, potentially. And Joe Brady, who just got out one year out of LSU, one year at LSU, I think, and then one year with the Carolina Panthers. They're not a top-tier offense. But he's your head coaching candidate instead of like Eric Bieniemy, Pep Hamilton, who who is the guy behind what Justin Herbert is doing, uh, Byron Leftwich, all these people. Like I mean, even Anthony Lynn should be rehired immediately. He has a winning record. People respect him. He's a leader of men. But you're trying to go is shopping the scratch and dent bin, and you'll say it's not enough minority candidates. Yeah, um, one of the interesting things that happens every single year is people try to come up with constructive solutions for, for minority candidates. And um, there are people out there that are trying to put themselves in a position uh, 
to where they will be considered. I remember that Arizona State had a running backs coach named John Simon. He left for what was essentially a lateral move, um, and he took a passing game coordinator job at Memphis. And that passing game, uh, game coordinator job was so that he would be taken more seriously as somebody who can call an entire offense and not just be your prototypical black position coach there to make black players feel feel more comfortable, right? Like, But even when you have people who play by the rules that have been designed for them, we'll say like, oh, we just need to get more black offensive coordinators. We just need to get more black quarterback coaches. We just need some of the, uh, you, you see all these retreads, right? Well, how come the, a lot of the black coaches that would also be considered retreads don't get the same opportunities? The Dallas Cowboys chose Mike McCarthy over Marvin Lewis. And you could dissect that in a million different ways on its surface and say Mike McCarthy has a Super Bowl and Marvin Lewis doesn't. But at the same time, you can also say, then how come that's the way it is every single time? I think we're we're sitting on yeah, but they uh, try to tell 13... you that it's well. They they try to tell you, oh, you got to be a coordinator or a passing game coordinator. Look at John Harbaugh. Look at Joe Judge. These dudes were special teams coordinators. It's excuses. Special teams, yeah, yeah. And there's no yeah. and the other thing is, like, can can you tell me what the path to being a coach, a head coach, is? Because what is the actual, what are the steps that you have to take? Because to go be a doctor, you got to go to high school, go to college, take the MCAT, go to med school, do your residency, and then you can go to practice. So it's like, what is the actual steps to be a head coach? The path to get a head coaching job in the NFL is the same path as I got my first job at Peter Piper Pizza when I was 16 years old. I had three friends that got on there. (laughs) <laughs> That's the path. It's it's who you know. It's it's all it, that is always going to be the most important thing in any situation of employment is you're going to have to have some type of connection and number of people who will vouch for you that are in trusted situations. You don't just build up a good old boy network over the course of decades and then all of the sudden that network doesn't do the job that it was designed to do. If you were part of that good old boy network, then you're in a situation that's that's probably going to be good for you. And if you're not, that structure wasn't meant for you. You're going to have to find some way to, to, to work around to, in order to get in it. And then when you do get in, you will not be afforded the same level of grace that a lot of uh, failed white male head coaches have have had. It's a right? meritocracy, so, um, Ralph, isn't it? Isn't it a meritocracy? We, we had what? I think we had three black head coaches. Five, I think Der- Derek Mason, Kevin Sumlin. I uh, believe there was another one. There's 13 total hires that have happened or are going to happen at the NCAA level right now, and none of them. None of them are men of color. None, not Samoan. Not uh, Pacific Asian Islander. Uh, n- not black, not not nothing. It's we we went from like thirteen black head coaches out of one hundred thirty teams at the FBS level to ten. Yep, and that's probably where it's going to stay. And that regression, everybody wants to break it down to uh, individual situations and say, well, this team had this specific need that they were looking to meet. And this person filled that specific need. The question that we have to consistently ask ourselves is about the pool. 
So how do we make that pool deeper and the options deeper so that the excuses are less? And now that we've started to see the pool get deeper, the excuses are changing. And I'm of the mind that it doesn't necessarily matter how deep that pool gets. If you don't in your head, if you don't in your head picture you know, it's like the old thing. Uh, remember that that riddle um, where where you ask like, "Hey, so a kid's in a car accident, um, and and this the the parent of the kid uh, is actually the one that's doing the surgery on them at the hospital, um, and it's not the dad." Yeah. Uh, how is that possible? And people don't think like, "Oh, well, the mom could be the surgeon," and that that that's what it comes down to is. We have seen such a long history of what a head coach looks like in football that it's really, really hard for people to expand their horizons and picture anything other than than what that prototype is, which yeah. is your Jason Garrett's, which is your John Harbaugh's. And there's nothing wrong with with those people. And people get really defensive because they think that when you say there should be more black head coaches, you think that you're saying all these other people aren't qualified. Like, no, it's just very, very simple. 70% of the league is black. People are making a ton of money off their bodies and off their labor. And you got a bunch of black people who are trying to do the work to get to that level, but they're not being considered. So what is the issue? Yep. What's the issue, George? <laughs> so the, okay. So I think that there is a couple of issues. So the, uh, the uh, first thing is, is that they always want to hire at this point in time, these offensive geniuses, right? A lot of these offensive geniuses were, were um, quarterbacks who've turned offensive coordinators, all of that. And I think for so long that you had so few black quarterbacks who really got an opportunity because they were turned into other positions, all of that. But now that you have, I mean, I played with one of them in Byron Leftwich, a guy who he couldn't have played another position in the NFL. <laughs> he wasn't a good enough athlete, but he was good at what he did. And now he's turned into a coordinator. So I think that you will have some of that trickle trickle up, trickle down, whatever, as you get more black quarterback coaches and black offensive coordinators and all of that. Because it's an offensive-driven league, particularly at this point. So I think that that has a little bit to do with it. The other part is owners, they typically hire people who, have sh who they can relate to and have shared experience with. They're like, yo, this guy represents my values, the way I grew up and all of this. And when you didn't grow up or it's a younger guy, you have trouble with that. You're like, I don't understand because they can't see you as their their son, their son's friend, uh, their, you know, their next door neighbor's kid, their best friend's son. They don't see it like that. They, they, they're just like, man, this dude's really good. He's really smart. I just don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, I just can't relate on that level. So I don't think that, I think that yes, there is some bias to it. There, there is some racism to it. I don't think all the owners are racist. I do think that there is some racism to it. I think that there's an element of by, uh, unconscious bias to it. And then there are people who are trying to do it the right way. It's the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's the same thing that happens. So you, you, you hear somebody speak and then you say, oh, they're so articulate. And you're telling on yourself, right? Because 
what you're saying is I did not expect you to be able to speak for yourself. Oh, dude, I get that right? all the time. They're like, oh, my God, you're, you're so well-spoken. I'm like, what do you what mean? What am I supposed to be? Right? What am I supposed right. to sound like? What exactly. am I supposed so, to sound like? Uh, what, I don't so look like it, I read books, fool? So, I mean, the b- bigotry and bias can exist in, in a way that is only revealed through what your expectations are. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, but it, it, to me, it has always been a glaringly frustrating thing in that, you know, you talk about like, well, you have to have, you know, people who are able to play quarterback or be on offense or whatever. University of Arizona just hired Jed Fish. That's a tennis player. Um, Todd Haley got what multiple opportunities in the NFL. He was a college golfer. But that's right? what I'm it, saying it, is that is that that fact I, I said that that is a little piece of it. But then that's what makes people upset is that the bar is different. Like let a black tennis player let let uh, mom fee come in and decide he wants to be a uh, a NFL coach or a coach in general. They'll be like, fool, you better go coach tennis. Get yourself yeah, away from no. this football field. It's the sky's the limit versus the limit's the sky. Like, honestly, it be, be, be very, very, very honest. If, if Todd Haley had made his dream public and had the platform uh, with which, you know, we could have reacted to it at the time that he was only playing golf and said, I want to be an NFL head coach. I think the reaction would have been, you know, that's a pretty lofty dream. Uh, you know, if, if Tiger Woods had done it, I think the reaction would have been like, Oh, what dominating golf's not enough for you. So it's, you know, it, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what to say. I think, I think that there is so much and nobody wants to admit that they have bias. No one wants to admit that there's any level of, of racism in them because it's become this buzzword, this incredibly negative thing. But I think it's just important to recognize how you always- were raised and what no, 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 what no. you were taught that normal was yeah. you just like whatever you were taught that normal is doesn't necessarily apply to everybody else around you and it doesn't make and you sometimes that has to do with race yes yeah, i'm saying no. it doesn't make you because it can be what you're taught but then you can unlearn that the uh, just the idea of being open to oh wait there's a different situation out here that i need to be aware of and maybe i didn't look at it the way that i should have i think that and at the point where you can't have that mentality and you're just saying, nope, absolutely not. This is the way that things are. I think that that's when you cross over into a territory where people can be upset with you as opposed to just saying that there needs to be some change. Um, but you guys are listening to Reister or Wrong. I'm George Reister. And people people can change. I just want to say people yeah. can change because you're agree. a Josh Allen fan now, just like me. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not a Josh Allen fan, but I do appreciate his his greatness in 2020. Uh, well, the 2020 season. We'll see about next year. But uh, this is the way we're going to do Rice or Wrong now with Ralph Amston. Um, hopefully you guys enjoy. Subscribe to the podcast. We're even going to get some new, some new imaging. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, make sure you share. Catch you guys on Friday.